This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. A video of the talk is also available along with more downloads at our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. Well, good afternoon, everyone. So we're thinking about this, this quotation. Uh, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So we're going to be looking at this and looking into it and seeing that even in just these few words, in which this, this happens time and time again throughout scriptures, even just a few words can contain so much and give us so much information about what God's plan and purpose with this earth is and how we can have a part in that. So we're going to be thinking about these words in the context uh, of what, how they were written, because that's how we always sort of look at these words. We don't take them out of context. We look at the context of the passage in which we find them, and we hopefully will pull out of those quite a lot of information. So we've just read the chapter from where we get these words, uh, and this was a, in a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to, not, not to a single group, or it was to a whole region, the region of Galatia, which is in what we'd call Asia Minor, or what today would be occupied by the, uh, the, the nation of Turkey. And this included a number of cities such as Antioch, Lystra, Derby, and Iconium, all fell under this area that would be described as Galatia. So this was a letter written to a large group of individuals and would have been sent round all of these various places where there had been converts, where people had converted from whatever religion they were, whether they were Jews or non-Jews, whatever they had been before, they had converted and become and accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Saviour. And so they had converted and Paul is writing to these people to try and encourage them to hold fast to the message that he had delivered them. Because again, that, it brings out that clear idea that there is a single message within the scripture and a single way of serving God. And that's what Paul is trying to encourage these people to do through love and patience to try and help them to hold fast to that one way, that narrow path that he knew he knows leads to God and to the hope of eternal life. So just looking at this phrase that we've got before us, this, uh, this phrase, we see so much in it. And hopefully we'll, we'll go through and we'll see how we can bring these things out. We see that the world around us is God's and it's running to his plan. It's running to his plan, his purpose and his schedule. The world is not some mechanism that God wound up and then left to its own devices because we see that God sent forth his son. It's an active process on God's part. We see God taking direct action in doing that, in sending his son at a time of God's choice. And then we see also described the nature of this son, the nature of the son with God as his father. And we see also that these words tell us that he was also very much a human, very much like you and I in every way, apart from the fact that he didn't sin. He didn't go against God's ways. So even from just these few words, we can see and learn so much about God's plan and purpose and of the one who is central to that plan and purpose, that being his son, the Lord Jesus. So we know that Jesus was therefore born like any other Jew as a human under the law, but not just the, the, the law of Moses, the, the law that had been delivered to Moses all those many hundreds, thousands of years before the Lord Jesus' time, but also under the, the law of sin and death that applies to all humans. 
And we know that by having our nature, by having the human nature, Jesus had the same capacity to sin. He had the same capacity to go against God's ways as any one of us has, but chose not to. So as I say, these words that we've just read don't stand alone. They are in the in amongst verses where Paul is laying out for these people in Galatia, these believers, these Christians in Galatia, those who would be the servants of the Lord Jesus, laying out for them how they should hold fast to the message that he'd already delivered to them and not go back to their old lives. And that's probably one of the main themes that we can see here is the idea of always going forward, going towards the kingdom of God and not going backwards towards the old life that we've left behind if we've taken on the Lord Jesus and been baptised. So in the next verse, after, the, after we've just read this, so uh, we read these words, uh, the words of our sort of title, um, sort of uh, in, in verse 4, uh, where we read, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. What to do? To redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And that's a theme that Paul is trying to bring out at this point to these people. The idea of being adopted into salvation that by adoption into God's family we have that hope of salvation so the, the consequence of the Lord Jesus's sinless life is that we can have that adoption we can have that means provided to us it's not something we earn but it is something that we can uh, be yes, a free gift from God to be adopted as either sons and daughters of God with that hope so Paul under inspiration is writing to his brothers and sisters people that he has met on his travels uh, and that he's written to probably many many times over the years these are people he loves these are people he cares about he is writing to people who are struggling with their new way of life because it's very difficult sometimes you know if for us to sometimes appreciate the change that these people had to undergo it may be that some, you know, some of you can understand that in terms of what life was before and then the life afterwards and the difference that it was. And the fact that they were still surrounded by the old life that they had left behind. And there was potentially sort of problems and enmity uh, and, and you know, sort of people uh, uh, trying to undermine them and bring them back to their old life. But they were hopefully you know, but Paul is trying to get them to hold fast, to come back and hold fast to the way that he's laid out for them. But they are struggling, as we all can struggle with the life that we live. That the pull of the old ways, the pull of the old sinful life is there and true for all of us. And so we, you know, a lesson here for all of us in terms of having to try and focus on the good that we have in terms of the scriptural message. So at the time when Paul was writing this letter, he's addressing a particular problem in Galatia because Paul preached the gospel initially to the Jews who were in a region and then those that were faithful to uh, his word and would uh, accept it and accept the Lord Jesus as their Messiah would come out and form the core of the, the uh, congregations in each area and then non-Jews, uh, Gentiles, would then you know, sort of be, be preached to and would form that uh, that uh, that part you know that you know, ecclesia or congregation uh, in those early days 
And it was a problem with some of those Jewish converts that he was having in that they were trying to bring in the law of Moses. So the, the law that had been laid out in the Old Testament to Moses, spelling out how the nation, how the Jewish nation should worship God, spelling out how and where they should worship God. But they were trying to get, not just to bring that back, even though Paul had made it quite plain to them that the law had come to an end because of the work of the Lord Jesus. But they were also trying to get those who were non-Jews to also follow the law as well. And so Paul is start trying to bring them back from this. And he can say that he's looking to save them, as, as we, you know, sort of we all need that saving. If we just go to the first chapter of Galatians, we can see in, the, in his opening greeting that he sees that they are in need of rescuing because we get these words from verse if we start reading at verse 3 grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever so God wants to rescue us from whatever evil is holding us in its power and God and Jesus have done that work. They've done that work and Jesus you know, and God have paid that price to break us free and give us that freedom from those things that would bring us down the evil age that we all live in. So this is a so what we read in these words is not just an issue for the people of the day. This is not just a letter that is of oh, yeah, sort of intellectual interest. Oh, well, this applied to the, to the Galatians and no other. But this is certainly one that we can look at and think about for ourselves and is applicable to us. Paul is laying out for those willing to listen the means of salvation through faith and the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus, not via a law, not via some mechanistic law where you earn salvation through works through completing works by being obedient to it he's making it quite plain that it is through faith and faith and the sacrifice of the lord jesus that we have this and paul builds his argument through this letter to show that the law could not save them that there was no possibility of salvation under the law as it was it could only condemn because all those who lived under the law were cursed to die and that curse was only removed through the work of the Lord Jesus a sinless life of sacrifice to God Paul in these words is trying to build the people of Galatia that he was writing to and also us up he, you know, he was not he was trying to save and not condemn them he was more interested in correcting false beliefs rather than banishing those that held them so let's think about the context uh, of this chapter that we, yeah, we, we have in chapter 4. In chapter 2, Paul has clearly stated the difference between following the law and faith. We read this in verse 16 of chapter 2. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. For by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. So a very clear, unambiguous statement that 
There is no going back to the law. There is no going back to the old life. There is no salvation there. Only by adhering to the new way of faith in Jesus Christ. That living a good life, being kind, being thoughtful, being honest, in itself cannot save without faith in Jesus. No system of thought or moral code that man can invent is equal to a life of faith and obedience as laid out in God's word, the Bible. Any Jew educated in the law should realise that they could not be justified by the sacrifices and offerings because there was a constant need to renew them. Whereas in Jesus, the one offering he provided did away with sins completely. Furthermore, a Jew under the law should realise that they were constantly breaking it and therefore in need of forgiveness. So the law brought a consciousness of sins and not forgiveness. The purpose of the law was to reveal to people and to us that we are guilty and are in need of salvation. We read these words from the letter to the Romans, another sort of letter of Paul to the Romans uh, and chapter 3 and verse 19 where we read, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be, will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So the law brings us to an awareness that we are sinful and a need for salvation. But it doesn't actually provide the means of that salvation. Except through the Lord Jesus fulfilling it and therefore providing that one sacrifice for all. So chapter 4 carries, uh, continues an argument that Paul is laying out from the end of chapter 3. Chapter the end, the last few verses of chapter 3 run over into chapter 4. And yeah, sort of the law, well, yeah, he's basically laying out what the law was there to achieve. We read in verse 24, the law acted, yeah, that the law acted as a schoolmaster drawing us drawing them to Christ. It read these words. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith had come, we are no longer under a tutor. So Paul is using an analogy here. He's using the analogy of childhood and the need that children have to learn and to be under the control and guidance of others. Children on their own are not you wouldn't leave them to their own devices because we know that they don't have the capability to actually do that. So even no matter how responsible a child might be, it needs that adult guidance. And that during that time of childhood, a child is under the control of others. Even if the child is the heir to the house, even if the child will, have, will eventually inherit everything, while they are children... The slave, the servant who is there to look after them still has control over them in that time until they grow and come of age. So Paul brings in that idea, the analogy, the difference between being a slave or a servant in a house, being a hired person, a bondman, and comparing that to being a child of the owner of the house, the heir, that one who will one day inherit everything. Paul has already made clear that by baptism into Jesus and through ongoing faith we become children of God and heirs to the promise to Abraham regarding eternal life in God's kingdom. 
We read this in verse, yeah, sort of in chapter 3 and verse 26, we read these words. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as of, many as of you, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So it's saying that through faith and baptism, we can have that access, that we are then part of Christ's family and part of Abraham's family and therefore heirs according to the promise. So what was the promise that was given to Abraham? Abraham, going back many thousands of years, through faith obtained the promises from God. Through faith in God and demonstrating that faith in his actions, received promises from God. Promises that he would receive a land, that he would receive a people, a vast nation would descend from him. And that he would be a blessing to the whole world through a seed or a descendant of his. That the whole world would be blessed through that seed. Now we know that Abraham never saw these promises come to pass. He never occupied the land that God had promised him. We know therefore that these are things that are still to be fulfilled. Because God had said that Abraham himself would receive these promises as well and we know that that hasn't happened so we can see that these are things that are still yet to come this is not something in the past this is something still very relevant for us today and because God had promised he would do these things we know that one day he will so in the moving into chapter four and the first three verses that we read there it says now I say that an heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until that time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage unto the elements of the world. So basically, Paul is laying out that the old life that we lived was under the law, under the law of sin and death. And now, if we grow up, we then accept Jesus. We accept Jesus and we become adults through adoption into Jesus's family. We become adults because we are then judging for ourselves and making a decision for ourselves to serve God as an adult does, as it is expected of an adult to do. Not under a schoolmaster or a guardian anymore, but making our own way and our own choices. If we stay as children... Or in the case of the people that he was talking to. If we go back to being children. Then we are still in bondage. We are still bound. And we are not heirs anymore. We are still servants. And it is only the heirs that will inherit. Not the servants. So to stay under the old life. Whether that is the law of Moses. Or whether it is to stay under the law, you know, the law of sin and death. That is to not accept Jesus as our saviour means that that will only lead to death and not to eternal life. God's mercy and love is shown in the fact that amongst men, amongst people, it is usually only the eldest son who would actually inherit everything. For God's children, all of them will inherit in the same way as an eldest son. So everyone who is one of God's children will inherit the same amount, will all get the same blessing of eternal life and peace and happiness in the kingdom so let's have a look at the phrase that we've we've you know, come to consider today 
in that verse we read but when the fullness of time had come this indicates to us that God has a timetable a God has a timetable when the exact religious cultural and political conditions demanded by his perfect plan were in place that's the point when Jesus came into the world and this corresponds we can say in to verse 2 when it said talked about um, <coughs> uh, but is under you know, the child being under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father so this is the same thing the fullness of time is coming it's a specific time for Jesus to be sent within God's plan we know from the scriptures that Jesus had been part of the plan part of the blueprint for God's purpose plan and purpose on this earth since he created the universe because he created the universe with the intent of creating adam and eve and giving them free will to be obedient or to sin and to go against god's ways and because he created the, you know, he intended to create that way he knew that there was a possibility that they would sin and put in place that plan of how he would bring the world back to that perfect state uh, you know, so and with Jesus as a central part of that. So Jesus existed in God's mind as part of that plan from the beginning. But certainly we can't say in any of these words that there is any indication or implication that Jesus pre-existed this point. The next phrase, God sent forth his son. This was not some random event. This was not some random event that just happened to be, oh well, God decided, okay, now is a good time. It was at a time of God's choosing when it would you know, fulfill God's plan and purpose. Just as when a father sets the time and the place for a ceremony for his son to come of age and to be released from the guardians and the managers and the tutors that he was under, so God sent his son at the precise point, moment to bring all who believed out from under the bondage of the law. And this is a truth that Jesus repeatedly affirmed. Um, just one, one example from the Gospel of John in chapter 5 and verse 30. I can, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own, but the will of the Father who sent me. So there is a clear relationship here between God and Jesus here it is that of a father and a son this is not some you know, sort of uh, you know, concept or idea this is a direct lineage this is a direct relation between a father and his son <coughs> so Jesus is therefore the heir because he is the eldest son he is the first begotten son of the Lord God and therefore he is the heir and he is that seed that was promised to Abraham as a descendant through his mother Mary so here we have the seed that was promised uh, to, you know, to Abraham all those years before and we get this in just you know in the previous chapter in chapter sort of 3 of 1 John uh, chapter 3 verse 19 what purpose then does the law serve it was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. So here we have the Lord Jesus as that seed, that promised seed being born. Born of a woman. 
That's the next phrase that we're given. Born of a woman. So his nature is also defined even further. So not only is he the son of God, but he's human. Because he is the born of a woman. And the word used here for woman is just the general term for woman. There is nothing special. It's not indicating that the woman that he was born to was somehow unique or special in terms of being differing from every other woman um, biologically. She was just a woman and he was born in the manner of all humans. no, No different in that respect. He was human in every way. He was subject to sin and the law. And although there is no you know, sort of mention here of the miraculous conception, the fact that Mary became pregnant with Jesus you know, as the power of God overshadowed her and, and actually caused the baby to come into existence, that phrase, born of a woman, is quite a common one. And it's also used in relation to John the Baptist. Um, in Matthew 11, verse 11, we read, Among them that are born of women... There hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. So this is again a common phrase to indicate the birth of a human child, to indicate normal birth, you know, the birth of a normal human child. So we here have a clear indication both of the fact that his father is the Lord God, but he is born as a human. And it indicates also that he was born with the choice he had the freedom to choose what he would do but he chose at all cases to follow after his father's ways and chose to be a servant of God in every way but obviously unlike every other person who's tried to do that and there have been many who have tried there have been people down through the centuries who tried to follow God's ways and failed But Jesus was the one that met every aspect, every requirement perfectly. And the final part of this this phrase, born under the law. Born into a state of things where the whole world was subject to the law. The law of sin and death inherited from Adam. But also born under the legal system of redemption given to Moses. Though he was destined to put an end to that legal system of works. He was brought in at that point. And the point at which Jesus was born under the law. Meant that this was the only time that Jesus could have been born. He couldn't have been born after the law had ceased its operation. Otherwise he, you know, he wouldn't have been born under the law. He couldn't have been born earlier. Because the law was there in its early days to build the nation. To be the basis of the nation Uh, building for the Jewish people and so he couldn't bring it to an end at that point while it was still carrying out that function so Jesus appeared under the law at just the right time when he could fulfill the law and replace it with redemption through faith and not works so what have we seen in this simple small verse this simple small few words we see it indicates quite clearly that God is in control. That world events around us are following God's plan. That God's plan existed from the beginning and runs throughout all of human history and will run all through till he replaces it with God's, his kingdom on this earth. That through Jesus, through baptism into Jesus, 
We have been freed. We can be freed from that curse of the law of sin and death. And that this is a free gift from God. Jesus has been part of God's plan since the beginning. His nature and his, you know, his you know, sort of function in God's plan has been clear since the beginning. That he would be that seed. He would be that son of promise. That he would be the son of God. He would be born a man, born human, but choose to be obedient to God in every way. And therefore, by fulfilling the law, he would give us, open the door for us to have freedom through faith. It's our choice whether we choose to accept God's word, whether we choose to stay as servants, as slaves, with no part in the inheritance whether we're content with that, whether that's, we're happy with that, or whether we want to become sons and daughters of God by adoption. Because we read in these words in verse 6 of chapter 4, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. If we do this, then we can call the God of the universe our Father. And we can then have that hope that when his son returns, we can have a place in that kingdom, in that house. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, videos, information about what we believe and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirtchristadelphians.org.uk. Music